is your relationship with time? Are you wired and tired, stressed and overwhelmed, busy and going nowhere, or just want to scale your business? Welcome to Take Back Time with your host, Penny Zanker. Penny focuses on books, strategies, tools, and tips to help you work smarter and approach your time more strategically. As a result, you can have more energy, focus, and get more done in less time. Be more efficient and effective. Get ready to take back time. Hello, and welcome to Take Back Time. My name is Penny Zanker, and I'm your host. And today I'm excited to talk about excellence and what it is to work towards excellence. And you know, I'm looking for the best people, the people who are going to challenge you to think differently, that are going to give you new insights. And today is no exception. I have Mac McNeil with me, and he is a financial guru in the sense of he's been a leader in the financial industry for more than 17 years in various different leadership roles. So he's bringing you know that expertise to us and being in these roles. And he's currently Senior Vice President of Operations for a Community Reinvestment Fund where he leads an enterprise operations, which includes asset management, customer engagement, data management, analytics, fund administration, learning and development, loan servicing operations. Whoa, he's pretty much in charge of the whole thing, people. That's why excellence is so important. So I can't wait to hear his perspective on that. And he has a new book that's just come out, My Great Aunt Edna. And we're going to hear more about that. So Mac, welcome to the show. Thank you, Penny. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you because that is something excellence. You know, I, I think that it's something that we all want or we think we want it. We're not sure we want to put the effort to get there. And maybe we're not even sure how we get there. Maybe we get caught up in perfectionism and make a misunderstanding about perfectionism and excellence. So maybe we could start there. What would you say is the difference between perfectionism excellent. Oh, man, that was very interesting that you started out with that one, because that's the core of what I talk about in the book is that the spirit of excellence is actually in the how. Perfection is the what. Perfection is the outcome we're trying to create, but excellence lives in the how. And I'll tell a quick story of how I got there, but I was in the U.S. Army as well in the Special Operations Command, and I was corrected one time while I would think, oh, you're very welcome. But I was corrected by a sergeant who started yelling at me and a bunch of other privates around what we were doing. And we thought we were doing things based on the instructions, the way they gave us to do it. So I was a little bit confused. And he had a coaching session with me shortly thereafter to explain that why he was so upset. It wasn't because we were doing something the wrong way. It was how we were approaching the work without the spirit of excellence. And so he taught me that lesson and it stayed with me for many, many years. But the biggest difference between excellence and perfection is the approach. Excellence is how you do your work, your mindset of what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. Perfection is the outcome. And perfection is not guaranteed just because you approach something with the spirit of excellence. It's not a guarantee. So they're vastly different, two totally different things. I love that. And I love that story. And it's amazing how where we get reprimanded, but we really understand the reason behind that smack on the wrist or whatever, and how that can stay with us for a long time. So they said it wasn't that you were doing it the wrong way the wrong way, right? That you weren't bringing that spirit of excellence. So let's say we have a process defined Mm -hmm. and that process has a series of steps. Give us an example because I want this to get it deeply. Is it only about mindset or is there another element to it that in these three steps or four steps, right? Mm -hmm. So 
help me understand what is excellence if I'm following a process? Yeah, great question. And I actually lead process governance as well in my organization right now. So very close to that. So as outlined within, I'll give an example, like sending a wire, for instance, you know, there's a process for sending a wire depends upon the role that you play within that process. There are many stakeholders. And of course, the mindset is the beginning of it. But moving into excellence is also consideration of everything else that needs to occur and other stakeholders, other impacts that may result as to how you're doing something. So it's not only your mindset, but it's understanding who else is involved, what else is involved, and how can we do this in the best way possible so that we reach that outcome perfection or attempted perfection, but it's not only in your mindset because you can have the greatest mindset. And then if you don't have like the instructions on how to do it the right way, if you don't know how your role is going to impact someone else's role downstream in that work stream, it's not excellence. And so that's part of it. And, you know, it's learning, you know, that learning as you go through and you do it multiple times, if you have the right mindset to start out with, as you learn, when you go, you make course corrections so that you can achieve excellence. So one of the things that I'm hearing you say, but not directly, right? So I want to confirm that this is what I'm hearing, because this is a big thing for me, is you talked about who else is impacted and understanding the bigger goal into what you're trying to achieve. So many times we get lost in doing the task and maybe doing the task perfectly. But if that doesn't serve the greater good for that particular context or situation, then that's not necessarily excellence, right? That's not necessarily... So to me, there's this element there of having an understanding of what the big picture is. So you mentioned who's involved, but also Mm -hmm. what's the ultimate purpose that you're looking towards. And it requires us to think a little, right? Is it's how we think about things and not just now I'm going to maybe contradict something that the military, right? I was going to say not just about taking orders and not just about following the process or the practice. True or not true? No, it's very true. In the military, a lot of people think it's really about taking orders, but they gave us an order. I'm going to use this example again. They gave us an order to set up a tactical operations center. And so we followed the order. And then there's instructions on how to set it up. We were following the instructions on how to set it up. So it's not only about taking orders, but it's giving that permission. It's what you said just a little bit earlier, but the permission to think. Because if you're only taking orders, you're not thinking. Mm, The thought has been there before you even existed. There was an SOP that was created or whatever else that is, an instruction manual. But the spirit of excellence, you have to give your employees or your team or whoever that is the permission to think. And that's how you arrive at excellence because of evolution. Things change. We sent a wire, as an example, six months ago, but six months later, there's a new fraud alert that's out there, you know. And so if you were just strictly just following orders or following SOP, but you didn't take into consideration a new external factor, it still Mm -hmm. might, might not be excellence in what you're doing because we didn't consider that new variable or that new information that's been introduced. So you have to have that ability to think and then the permission to think as you go through processes. I think one of the challenges today, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, is there's the permission to think, and then Mm -hmm. there is space to think. Is that when we're busy and we have a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, we don't feel like we have the space to think. It's There's so much urgency and pressure to get on to the next thing. And I believe that one of our greatest risks today is that Mm -hmm. we're not thinking. Yes, yes. So I promise it feels like you know me already. <laughs> I'm serious. We're two peas in a pod here. Yeah, the questions that you're asking. So today happens to be Friday. And when I came to this new organization, one of the first thing I did when I observed the team and what they're doing, I instituted a rule. It's called no meeting Friday. So no meetings after 12. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I'm very serious about that. And the reason why I do it is exactly what you said. I want my leaders that work for me to be able to stop and think. Like, let's reflect on the week that just happened. Let's think about the forthcoming week, some of the things that we need to do, some adjustments we need to make. But you're exactly right. Given that space to think, because if you're constantly on the go, you might be aware of a few things that need to adapt, but you don't have time to actually think through everything in that spirit of excellence. So that space to think is extremely important, which is why, number one, I instituted, but I managed that piece. Like after 12, no meetings, nobody at all. Like, I don't want to see it on your calendar unless it's an absolute emergency, because this is our time to think through what we need to do in the spirit of excellence for coming up. Congratulations on setting that example. And I think this is an example for leaders who are listening, is that it's one thing to have an intention that we want people to think. And that we tell yeah. people we want you to think outside the box or we want you to align with the goal. And if there's a change in the process, then do it. But you created a rule, a support system, so that you not only gave people permission to think, but you gave them space to think. And I think, huh, I think that it's important to create those structures for people because more and more, I find that there's so much flexibility not enough rules or not enough boundaries that organizations are helping people to create. We're pushing it all to the employee and saying, you create your own boundaries. You figure out where you're going to do this and how you're going to do that. They're overwhelmed. We've never had so few boundaries and we're terrible at setting boundaries. So those kinds of things, like even the companies that say, we're not going to send out emails after hours, we're going to hold them and, and then we're going to release them in the morning. Those types of things are so supportive for the team that it may not be as recognized. Do you, do you have some other things like that that you do that create space and boundaries that support your team? It'd be interesting. Yeah, and I'm not going to take the credit for this next thing I'm going to talk about, but we have a, a new CEO that just came into the organization and very similar to what I saw. He assessed the workload, the work-life balance, and of course, we're managing in a remote situation right now. So he's only been around for a month or so. And, you know, two weeks in, he's like, hey, lunchtime is protected. So from 12 to 1, no meetings. And that includes for me talking to his executive assistant as well. No meetings from 12 to 1. And then your meeting times should be 50 minutes or 90 minutes because we need that 10 minutes in between meetings again to think. You just took in a lot of information, right? Mm -hmm. And at a 50 minute time span, like think about it. And then also think about the meeting that you have coming up if you have those quote back-to-back meetings, but you have that space. And so it's taking a step further than what I did before this new CEO showed up, but he's thinking the same way that I am. It's that we need time to stop. You have to have time to stop. In this remote work environment that we have right now, it gets even more convoluted and more difficult. And I think some leaders actually don't get that yet. When you're working remotely, you're interrupted in other ways that you would not be if you were in an office. And so it's even more difficult sometimes to have that space to stop. And so as leaders, you actually need to manage that and give people permission to pause. I love that. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent of that, of the the shorter meetings and giving people space to write down their actions and shut it down and then be able to think about the next thing. No more back-to-back meetings, right? So I love when an organization takes responsibility and accountability for that. So kudos to you guys. We want to hear a little bit about your book, right? So you said some of these concepts are in there. So tell us a little bit about your book and what are some of the key things that might get people excited about going to read it? Yeah. So 
First of all, the book is called My Great Aunt Edna. Edna is actually an acronym. I'll tell you the story of how it started, but I was with uh, Bank of America and I was leading a region of 60 financial centers there. And I was successful. I just left JP Morgan Chase and someone asked me, hey, how have you been so successful in banking? And I really hadn't thought about it in the context of that question. And I said, eh, excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts and accountability. And someone said, hey, that spells Edna. And I said, hey, I have a great aunt Edna. She's the twin of my grandmother and my team. Oh, that's funny. You really do have an I, I actually do, funny. yes. <laughs> yeah. And so my team picked up on this and they personified it. And so I would go into the financial centers for visits in the break room. There would be a big picture of Aunt Edna with the acronym next to it. Excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts and accountability. And it just became the culture of what we led with. And leaders would say, hey, what Aunt Edna say? We were contemplating a situation. So it just developed and it's followed me, Bank of America, Synchrony, and to the current organization that I'm with. And I started a newsletter and the newsletter became very popular and it turned into a book. And talking about some of the concepts within the book, we speak about excellence and starting out with the spirit of excellence, but we also talk about doing things the right way. Like once something has been established, it's very similar to what we talked about with the processes, making sure that we're doing things the right way consistently, because that's how you evolve. If you're currently doing things the right way consistently, you can see some of the gaps and controls that may need to be put in place as things evolve within a business. So it's extremely important to do that and to manage that. And then no shortcuts. And one of the things I talk about about in the book with no shortcuts is that sometimes as a leader, you step into a situation where there was a previous leader that was extremely successful in whatever they were accomplishing, and you try to do things the exact same way and it doesn't happen. In my mind, that's a shortcut because that blueprint was not created for you. It's for someone else that has a completely different personality type, has completely different experiences in life, those kind of things. So you have to take the long way around and get through the good, the bad, and the ugly as a leader to eventually get to that spirit of excellence and success that you're trying to achieve. And then lastly, we talk about accountability and the accountability, I call it a three-way street. It's not a two-way street. It's the employee to the leader, the leader to the employee, and then the team to the entire organization. Like, what are we accountable for? But just, first of all, living and spelling out those expectations of what we're trying to accomplish, and then giving everyone the permission to hold each other accountable so that we achieve the result we're trying to achieve. So let's talk about accountability for a little bit. And then and then I guess we'll have to maybe do a, a part two, because uh, <laughs> I know the people have short attention spans, so we have to be careful for that. Let's talk about accountability, because I think mm-hmm. that that is an important part of excellence, is holding people accountable. Now, I'm a big fan. I don't like the word accountability. I'm a big language person when I think about the energy of the language that we use, especially Got as it. leaders, right? And what yeah. we're putting out there and asking people how to show up and accountability is a word that people think of when they think of like a slap on the wrist. And it's typically at the end of a process. I'm a big fan of ownership Uh and having people own it from the beginning. Tell me for you, like, how do you feel about those two words? And then Mm -hmm. let's maybe dig into a little bit about accountability. No, great point that you bring up in your Absolutely right that most people, when they hear the word accountability, they think of performance management in a negative context, right? Mm -hmm. Something went wrong. And so I'm going to hold you accountable. We didn't achieve our goals or whatever that is. And then your next point around ownership, I see ownership as it's a part of accountability. Like you have to own it at the beginning. And that's where the expectations come in. And so one of the things that I do with my teams, I used to do it in January. Now I do it in in July because the fiscal year change in the organizations. But I would have an expectations meeting. And so the expectations meeting was I would tell the team what holding them accountable for what I'm expecting from them. But I give them permission to do the same thing for me. 
tell me what I need to do. And then once we all agree on it is where we get to that ownership. Like, okay, so I am now owning this piece to do this so that we reach this particular goal. And it's the accountability is not necessarily at the end. I know where you're going with that, but there's a lot of, we call them postmortem project reviews, things of that nature. Like let's Mm -hmm. look at, you know, how we done. And now we're going to say it was your fault because we didn't hit this and we didn't hit that. But I see you're ready to have a question. Go ahead. No, not a question. I think maybe you're getting to it and you kind of said it like setting the expectations in the beginning, right? I love Mm -hmm. that. And that you were, that is creating ownership Mm -hmm. because you had said, you know, accountability is part of it. I see accountability as a byproduct that when you are owning something that you naturally will be accountable. And you'll have those meetings, like you said, after a project, because you own it and you're going to own what went well, and you're going to own what didn't go well so that you can learn and bring it into the future. That's what happens when you own it. Like, I'm a freak about ownership. Like when my kids don't show ownership, like you said, with your, your sergeant, I think it was, or that situation, something would happen with my son and he would say, well, it's not my fault. Like that drives me crazy because that (laughs) says it's no ownership, right? Right. Is I don't care that something happened. It didn't go well. I'm not concerned about that. Whatever the cost is or whatever, we'll deal with that. I'm concerned that you're not going to own it and then say, here's what I'll do to mitigate it, to make sure that it won't happen again. To me, that's ownership and accountability is a byproduct, right? Of that. That's a good way to look at it. And so we're having the same feelings as parents, as leaders Mm -hmm. and explaining that you're part of this. And so whether or not the full outcome is your responsibility, but let's hold each other accountable or accept ownership that there's a piece in there that you played that we may need to adjust. I want to talk about that, hold each other accountable. Cause I think mm-hmm. in coming from the military, I think that that's a great, I don't want to say metaphor. It's another environment, right. Mm-hmm. Of uh, that can be like strategies across contextual. So if it works there and I think that you have that heightened pressure and I'm just curious, like, what have you taken over from the military and and what is different? How do teams hold themselves accountable? Because often people, they don't want to speak up. Everybody wants to be liked. They don't want to be that person that's pushing and saying, why aren't you doing this? They push it up to the next level and say, you do it. You make it's your job. Yeah. So I'll start with the military. The military, of course, we have certain regulations and, you know, it's tied to legalities as well when it comes to accountability that could actually impact you outside of the military later on. So there's a structure within the military that accountability is extremely important. But here's the point that I want to make that I tie together. It's the why it's important that I translated from the military into the civilian world. In the military, the why is life and death. And of course, you can't translate that into the civilian world unless you're talking about police or fire or something of of that nature. But it's still the why the ownership or the accountability is extremely important. And that's what I do with my teams. We talk a lot about the why something is important and then what's your role in it. And that way you can tie it back to purpose. Like, why are we doing this in the first place? If you're just telling someone this is your accountability, if you don't do it, this is the outcome. But there's no why explained. It doesn't resonate. And you're not actually leading at that point. And the way I see it, it's really management. And there's a huge difference between management and leadership. But that's something that I've taken from the military that utilizes the civilian world, but just within different parameters. So how do you do that? Let's say you're talking to somebody who's not a leader or at a leadership level. I mean, we can all be leaders at whatever level we're at. But let's say you're talking to somebody who's at the one of the the lowest levels of maybe doing data entry or Mm -hmm. something 
within the organization that as the structure is organized. How do you help that person get the why for the work that they're doing? Because maybe they're the furthest removed, right? So that's why I'm stating that. Yep. Great question. So first thing is that you have to know the individual that you're speaking to. And so I'm a firm believer in personal relationships at where you know them and you allow them to know you as your person, not necessarily as a leader. And this goes a little bit back to my military days, but I was in psychological operations. And so understanding the person or the entity that you're getting ready to speak to is extremely important before you start to speak to them. So if you understand the person and you understand what makes them tick and what makes them happy, those kind of things, it helps in the conversation. So that's step one. Step two is you can't just tell someone the why. You have to allow them to self-discover the why. And that's through a series of questions, open-ended questions. So you start, you know, you can say like, so tell me about your daily routine. Like, what do you do? And then they tell you about the daily routine and what they're doing. Okay. So, so where else does this go? This information that you're putting into this system or whatever, I'll use data entry as an example. Where else does this information go and allow them to speak? And if they don't know, they ask questions, you fill it in. Mm -hmm. And then what you're doing is what you just said earlier in the interview is you're helping them to see the larger picture, the big picture, because it's easy for people to get caught in their day to day and only realize what they do and don't understand the full impact to the organization or even broader, like in the organization I'm in right now, it's community reinvestment. It, our constituents are extremely important, the borrowers, the end users. So helping someone understand what they do helps them get to the why of why we're doing it to begin with. And so then you can get to the ownership because you're right at the lower levels, Sometimes they don't own it because they're thinking, I don't have an impact. Like, I'm not that important. Why are you even concerned? But you have to help them understand their role in the larger picture. Absolutely. I love that. We're, we're almost out of time. I just want to say, I love the fact that you talked about self-discovery and helping people to, that it has to come from them. People support what they create. And if it comes from them, then that's where the ownership begins. So I absolutely love that. We'll definitely have to schedule a part two. So before we go, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel like you want is really important to share with the audience? Yeah. So just a little bit about the platform. Again, the book is available. It's available all the major retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, so on and so forth. It's called My Great Aunt Edna. I also have a podcast and a YouTube show. The newsletter that I mentioned is on LinkedIn. So if you Google my great aunt Edna, you can find it anywhere. I'd love for current leaders or those that are listening that want to be leaders or maybe even leaders that need to rethink how you're doing things. Take a look at it. Read through. There's also an audio book if you're not into flipping pages that you can listen in and then provide feedback. Like I love to have conversation and dialogue. And this is not a one way thing where I put out a book and I think it's the greatest thing in the world and it's going to change your life. But provide feedback. Reach out to me through those social avenues and uh, we'll talk. That'll all be, all of those links will also be on the show notes. So make sure. So thank you, Mac, for being here and sharing your expertise. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, Penny. And thank you all for being here. And remember, the key thing is about excellence. It's about how you embody what it is that you're doing in your attitude, in your approach, and keeping that big picture in mind. So many great nuggets from today's show. In the spirit of Mac talking about feedback, let me know what your feedback is, how you're doing. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates and let me know what other topics that you want to hear about. So my name is Penny Zanker and this is Take Back Time. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Today's topic is another opportunity for you to put the knowledge you learned into practice. 
Tune in again next week for more strategies that will help you have more energy and focus to get more done in less time so you can continue to take back time.